Good morning once again. How many have ever said the phrase, oh, I would never do that? Is it maybe just me, but I, I'm sure most of you have been in a place where you said the phrase, oh, I would never do that. And inevitably, when we say that, most of the time, we find ourselves on the other side at some point doing the very thing we said we would never do. If you are a parent, I'm sure you could think of hundreds of examples of, oh, when I have kids, I would never do that. And then you have kids, and it's, well, maybe just this time I would do that. It's really interesting with a lot of the, the things that are going on in our world today. I hear a lot of times people say about teenagers, well, when I was growing up, we would never do that. If, if I were a teenager today, we would never do that. And it's, it's so easy to look and compare the way things were when you were a teenager to the way things are now and think, well, I would never do that when the time and the place the culture that you grew up in was entirely different. It's interesting. Psychologists today say that the average teenager in America has the anxiety level of a psychiatric patient from the 1950s. And it's, it's easy to say, well, the, the, you know, the teenagers are our problem, and they grew up in a different world. And it's so easy to stand at a distance and criticize but we don't understand what their world is like today. For parents, it's easy for people who have raised kids and have them out of the house to look at them and say, oh, well, we just didn't do things like that then. And there's this, this balance, this tension that we have to manage of protecting our children and preparing them. But what's really interesting is we live in this age of information where information is coming at you nonstop. And if you are a parent today, one of the things that you are not short on is information and protecting your children. Because there are so many more laws today and so many more things coming at you, information on the internet. And, and believe it or not, they can put things on the internet that aren't true. Yeah. So what did you learn in church today? Not everything on the internet's true. Yeah, and, and so there's all this information coming at you, and you're trying to decide. And, and I find it interesting, there is so much on how to protect your kids in the world today. There's very little on how to prepare them. And so it's always easy to kind of sit back and judge and say, well, you know, I would never do that when you don't find yourself in the same setting as we find ourselves today. The, the world that you grew up in might be a little bit different than the world as it is today. And see, I found myself, as we read Hebrews, looking at this church, these, these believers who have fallen away or, or discouraged in their faith, and I, I have the tendency to say, well, I would never do that. that. That would never happen to me. I would never get to the point where I started to question Jesus. I would never get to the point where I started to get so discouraged in my faith. I, I wasn't even sure about meeting together. I would never get to that point. And it's so easy, I think, when we're sitting here on the inside to assume that we would never find ourselves where they were. And, and it's really interesting 
as the, the preacher here in Hebrews is reminding them, this is towards the end. We're going to fast forward just a little bit in this sermon. You don't need me to do that. But the Hebrew writer, to fast forward a little bit in his sermon. In chapter 10, he says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly Rewarded. He's talking to a group of people who have suffered for their faith, who have lost possessions because of their faith. Because of the world they live in, they are enduring this difficulty and they're starting to question and they're starting to doubt Jesus, Messiah, and ask the question, well, okay, what are we supposed to do? And the writer, his whole point in this, this book is simply to say, listen, God can be trusted. For, for our family right now, we're, we're really having to, to believe that. Um, most of you who are on social media know that we have a, a, some friends in Cleveland, Texas, whose child is nine years old. He's my son, Ryan. He was his best friend in Cleveland, and he's been diagnosed with brain cancer. And they did surgery, and they did the radiation, and they found out that it was back. And then it had spread, and there was nothing else they could do. It's hard. It's hard when you receive news like this to remember that God can be trusted. Today, he goes to St. Jude. Um, and they've been through just this major emotional roller coaster where they're told there's no hope and there's a trial and there's not and now there's a trial and today they're going and I want to just I want to stop just real quickly and, and pray for Brody and his family if I, I could and just ask you to to go to God with me and, and trusting that God is going to heal and God is going to do amazing things through through Brody and his life so if you'd pray with me Father, we do thank you for this day. And Father, we do trust. Even when doctors and, and others say that, that there's no hope, Father, we know there is hope. And Father, we know that you are the healer, the great physician. And Father, we trust today in the healing power of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray for safety and the travel. And Father, we pray that in everything, Brody's life will point people to Jesus. Father, we trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen. See, we've been through this kind of, I told Mike this morning when I got here, just emotionally, I'd kind of reached my capacity from the weekend of just sitting with our friends 
And, and it's, it's difficult in these times to truly trust. But I think the Hebrew writer is encouraging these people, hold on to your faith in Jesus. Above everything else, hold on to what you believe. In chapter 3, he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what was spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. See, there were two possible responses in, in hearing about Jesus for these Jews. It was to say, Jesus couldn't be Messiah, and we're going to hold on to the law as it is, as it was given by the angels, as it was given through Moses. Or we can abandon everything we knew and follow this new way. And I think the Hebrew writer says, no, there's a way to connect. There's a way in the middle. There is a path that leads to Jesus, Messiah, that doesn't abandon the old and doesn't simply cling to it either. Because what's happened in the old and new covenants coming together is fulfilled in Jesus. And that is where we see God's faithfulness to his people. And we see that God can be trusted above everything else. Hold on to him. See, every story needs a hero. Every story that's worth anything that you have ever heard has a hero at the center of it. Every movie that you've watched has a Superman or an Indiana Jones or a Rudy. It has the person that you can get behind, you can cheer on, that you can find as the hero of the story, defeating the enemy. But then there's the real-life heroes. People like Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks. Police officers. Firefighters. People who put their life on the line and we see the heroism in their lives. But advertiser, advertising is the best at presenting their product as the hero. Something as simple as scope mouthwash has the incredible ability to defeat the deadly disease of gingivitis and kill your bad breath. Or the new, all new, completely redesigned Dodge Ram pickup has the ability not only to haul this pile of brush, but also to get you a date on Friday night. Advertisers always pose their product as the hero of the story, and somehow they do this in 30 seconds. That here's your life, 
dull, boring, needing something, but yet here is our product, the hero of the story, and it can step in. And for Israel, Moses is one of the heroes. He's the one that sets, steps in to save the people from slavery, to lead them, to provide for them, to speak on behalf of God to them. And Moses is that hero that they trust in, who gave them the law, and all of their hope can be put in him. I mean, he is one of the patriarchs. You have Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. You have Moses, and you have David. You have these great heroes of faith that it's so easy to put your hope and trust in. Because Moses' faithfulness to God... And he reminds the people as he starts, these holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your mind on him. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And you see Moses' faithfulness in his character. And if you remember back a few weeks, that that character is produced through pressure. We, we looked at the character of Jesus that was produced through the pressure of the cross, revealing God to the world. And Moses was faithful through the pressure that he endured, that he faced against Egypt, against his own people, against his own leaders who were walking with him and yet would lose sight of what they were about and what they were doing. And he calls him, as he gets to Jesus, he talks about these two terms that I think both fit Moses as well. One is the apostle. And the apostle is just simply someone who is sent from God. And he also talks about Jesus as the high priest, which I think also would include Moses in this. Maybe not the high priest, but a priest. And a priest is someone who speaks to, the, to God on behalf of the people. It's this go-between. And, and Moses and Jesus both shared in this calling. Both Moses and Jesus were faithful to what God wanted them to do, who he called them to be. Back several years ago, my wife and I were going to a wedding in Cleburne. And we left our house. We were running late. The babysitter had gotten there late. We we're kind of running behind. And we get up to this stop where our road tees, and you have to turn left because to the right is a dead end. And so we're running late to this wedding, and we get to this stop, and I just kind of roll through it and turn left and go. But to um, my surprise, I saw some lights flashing in my rearview mirror. Because where the road dead ends, there was a police officer stationed watching. And he saw me roll through the stop heading to the wedding. And he gets up to the window and he says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no, I don't. He said, you rolled through that stop sign back there. And I said, oh, sorry. He said, why are you in such a hurry? I said, well, I'm heading to a wedding. I'm a minister. I'm heading to a wedding. And he says, okay, well, don't run any more stop signs. Just slow down and go ahead. And so as we're driving off, my wife looks at me and goes, I think he thinks you're doing the wedding. 
details. See, that, that stop sign was supposed to cause something to happen in my life that was different than what I was currently doing. It was supposed to bring me to a complete and full stop where I looked both directions before turning. But I was so used to traveling this path. It's the way I went to work every single day. I drove it so often. I was so used to it that I just kind of rolled through it. And, and so the, the writer is saying, hey, you have this confession. And typically what we think of in confession in our world is, hey, I did it. Like the police officer. You rolled through the stop sign. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I did. Sorry. But confession in the sense that he uses it here, this confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Messiah, this confession that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that we are part of his family, that God has separated us from our sin if we belong to him. That This confession is supposed to radically alter everything in our life. And a lot of times I wonder if we treat it just simply like the stop sign where it may slow us down and it may think, make us think for just a second, but it doesn't radically alter the course and the trajectory that we are moving. That, that stop sign was supposed to bring me to a complete stop so that I had a chance to look around and see what was going on around me before I turned. And that confession... When you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life, is supposed to radically alter and reshape everything about who you are and what you do. Because that watery grave of baptism is not just simply saying our past is behind us. It's saying there is this new future ahead of us. This new direction that we're heading and we're submitting to the lordship of Christ and we're putting our life under his control and we're following him. And I wonder if that confession has radically altered your life or has it just changed some things on the surface that people see? Has it just simply changed what you're doing right now at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning? Has it changed anything besides, well, I just don't talk that way? Has it changed anything about your life besides these superfluous acts? Or has it completely reshaped, reformed who you are? Because that confession should change everything. And we have this faithful servant, Moses, who was revered by the people. And maybe the place that we see that the most is in Numbers, and don't, don't turn there, just listen. But in Numbers 12 through 14, Moses comes to this place in his ministry, walking with the people, where Miriam and Aaron start to turn against him. They, they start to think, well, someone else can do this better. And God has to intervene. 
And Miriam ends up with leprosy for the next seven days. Because they are going to try to go in a different direction than the, the person God has chosen to lead the people of Israel. And then, in chapter 14, the people start to turn. They said, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why did God bring us out here? Why did God take us out of this land? Why did God do this to us? Let's pick another leader. Let's pick someone else to take us in a new direction. And God says, I'm so tired of these people. I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to start over. And Moses, the person they are turning against, begins to beg for their life. He begins to plead with God to forgive them. He begins to plead with God to step in, to intervene, to not act in the way that he wants to. And we see Moses, this faithful servant of God, faithful in everything he does in serving the people and leading the people that God has called him to. It's his heavenly calling, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. It's Moses' heavenly calling to lead these people. And what we find in this is that Moses is faithful. Verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. And Christ was faithful as son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope that we glory. What we find is both Moses and Jesus were faithful to their purpose. They were doing exactly what God called them to do. They were the men that God called them to be. And they did not lose sight of that purpose. But their purposes were different. Moses' purpose was to serve the people. Jesus' purpose was to save the people. And Moses is serving the people by leading them. And Jesus is saving the people by redeeming them. They both have this purpose, this direction they're heading. And they are faithful to it. See, here's the problem for many of us. Is we confuse our purpose with Jesus' purpose. Because we want to save people. God did not call you to save anyone. He called you to serve them. And that may look different than it did for Moses. But your calling is to serve people. Jesus' calling is to save them. And if you confuse the two you will be able to do neither. If you work so hard trying to save people, you will not be able to serve them. But if, if you will trust God enough to serve them faithfully, 
by loving them and giving and forgiving and letting go. If you will serve them, Jesus will be able to save them. The question is, do you trust that God is faithful in His purpose? And Jesus is faithful in His purpose if only you will be faithful in yours. That is the question. Because I can tell you, God and Jesus will be faithful. They have been. They always will be. The question is, will you? Will you be faithful to your purpose and to your calling to serve people, to love them? When I was in Boy Scouts, I I didn't make it real far. I I think I was first class at some point. I don't even remember where that is. But one of the merit badges I remember earning was called orienteering. James, don't listen to any of this because this is probably all wrong. you, You love when there's someone in the army in the military, sitting here listening to me talk about a military compass. But one of the things I learned that was pretty simple, well, it's complex, but the idea is pretty simple, is that there's a difference between true north and magnetic north. How many people know where north is? Point to it. So there's a lot of people directly challenged or asleep. North is this way. North is that direction. But there's a difference between magnetic north, the way your compass points, and true north, which is the orientation on a map. It's only a few degrees. Here in Tyler, it's about six degrees difference. And so if we were to map out a chart from here on stage to the parking lot, we'd probably be only off by a few inches. But if we were to follow to the end of the points, the farthest north they go, there would be over a thousand miles difference between the two. And if you were trying to go from Tyler, Texas to Minneapolis, Minnesota, you could miss it by the entire state of North Dakota if you followed the wrong north. Seems pretty simple to follow your eyes. And and what the author of Hebrews, this preacher, says is these people with this heavenly calling, what they need to do is fix their thoughts on Jesus. Fix their thoughts on Him. Let Him guide them. Let them move them. Let them follow Jesus. And last week as we talked about this idea of faith, we talked about how important it is in our life. We didn't talk a whole lot about how we have faith. We didn't talk about what these steps look like and how we take these massive steps. How how is it that we reorient our life around true north 
so that we fix our focus. See, this idea of fixing your focus is a process. And one of the things I think you learn in life is anything that is important is a process. If you want to lose weight, it is a process. It's not just a one-time action. It's a process of lots of little things. If you want to learn to drive a vehicle, it's a process that you have to go through. I've talked to several people over the last several weeks who are struggling with forgiveness. And I just simply say to them, it's a process. It's not just this decision where everything is good from that point forward. It's a process that we go through of letting go and letting go and letting go and continually coming back to forgiving. It is a process. So how, then, if we're supposed to be following true north, do we find it? First of all, we stop. If you're trying to follow a compass, at different points in the journey, it helps to stop to figure out where you are. And as we get busier and we get more things going, it's so easy for us to lose our focus. But it's helpful if we'll simply stop. We stop and we take inventory of what's around us. We take inventory of what's going on in our life. We take inventory of what's happening around us and how it's changing our world and how it's changing our perception. And then next, we reorient ourselves. That's the idea behind orienteering, is that we orient ourselves to where we are going, the direction we're headed. Because here, here's the thing. It's possible to be pointed in the right direction, but focused on the wrong thing. It's possible to be moving the right direction and have the wrong focus. And so we orient our life, we reorient our life to where we're headed and what our focus is. And one of the things I think you find is there's usually not these massive changes that need to be made in our lives as followers of Jesus. But there are these little degrees of changes where we're just moving the knob just, just slightly to reorient us around what our focus is supposed to be. To make sure we're moving the right direction all the time. And then, as we reorient ourselves, we fix our focus back on Jesus. That just as Moses was faithful as a servant, he had this picture that he was serving God, that he was his faithful servant in his house. But it was Jesus who would be over that house. And that everyone inside that house would serve him. Everyone inside of that house would be faithful to him and to his calling. See, this heavenly calling calls us to follow Jesus. And if you're following him faithfully, I promise you he will not sit still. He will call you into some really difficult places and say, follow me. 
He will call you to forgive people that it seems impossible to forgive, to love people who seem impossible to love, to serve people who don't want help the way that you think they need it. It's so easy to lose our focus. And if we don't stop and take inventory and reorient our life around Jesus to fix our focus, you will end up spending your whole life moving in the right direction with the wrong focus. Do we need to serve people? Absolutely. That's what we do as faithful servants, but that is not our focus. Our focus is Jesus. Do we need to gather together as God's people every week and celebrate and encourage and lift up? Yes, but that is not our focus. That is part of our faithfulness to Jesus as we follow Him. There are so many things that we do that we try to make the main thing. And the Hebrew writer wants you to know, fix your focus on Jesus. Follow Him with everything that you have, everything that you are. Don't spend your life going north only to find you've been going slightly off course. Find true north. And fix your focus there. And follow Him faithfully as God has called you to do. There's a difference in our world between a travel agent and a tour guide. The travel agent is the one that prepares all the stuff and says, here's where you're going. But the tour guide is the one who walks alongside and starts pointing so that people don't miss what's so easy to miss. In our culture, our church needs cheerleaders and not critics. It needs tour guides and not travel agents. It needs people who are walking on this journey fixing their eyes on Jesus, following Him with all they are, and pointing out all the ways that He is at work in this world. We need tour guides and not travel agents. So, fix your focus. Before we pray real quickly, where's true north? I want to ask you to do me a favor real quick. Could everyone point to true north? Because I want to send this to our friends in Cleveland, Texas today to remind them where true north is. And to let them know that we're praying for them. And that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus as we follow him. Father, today, we pray that we will be faithful. Faithful to our calling as we follow Jesus. 
Father, we want to be servants as Moses was. Servants who are using our gifts, our talents, our abilities that you have given us to serve you faithfully. Not that we want to get rid of what Moses did, but Father, we do want to exalt and lift up Jesus to make him our Lord, to reorient our life around him. Father, find us faithful in this process as we follow Jesus with all that we have and all that we are. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If we could pray for you in any way today, we're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around the back of this auditorium. Or if you want to fix your focus on Jesus, be buried with him, be raised into new life, to become part of the body, the, the house of God, we offer you that invitation today. So whatever you need, come while we stand and sing. Precious core.